0: Visualization and not only that, you also have to visualize everything that can happen wrong, including the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. You just know that you're going for the best case scenario and it's just a routine because you've already done this in your head and it's super powerful. And that's what I did. I've played in my scenario, in my head, all the scenarios I could think of from the best possible scenario to the worst possible scenario from being released in the morning saying sorry it was all a mistake by the way we've recorded everything you're going to be on tv tomorrow ha ha, ha. to you know i'm going to land in 24 hours in, in nigeria they're going to put me to jail so what do i do to survive? Uh, <laughs>
1: Welcome to the PS Younger Self podcast, where we talk to inspiring entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and creatives on how we can all crush our fears and optimize our lifestyle to live our most fulfilling lives, and always on our own terms. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of PS Younger Self. I am really honored to have our special guest with us today. He has quite an extraordinary story, one not many can say has lived to tell it. He's a Polish-born successful entrepreneur focused on online businesses and renewable energy and is passionate about emerging markets. Among the many tech companies he's founded, Jamia, travel became Africa's biggest hotel booking portal listed on the New York Stock Exchange. He's also the founder of the Maya Foundation, which creates opportunities for underprivileged children in Africa from building schools to providing scholarships. There's more. He's a multiple times TEDx speaker with one of his talks garnering more than 1.7 million views. And that video is called Africa Stupid. And he's a best-selling author of the book Chasing Black Unicorns, How Building the Amazon of Africa Put Me on Interpol's Most Wanted List, which I will tell you is quite a gripping autobiography. So please meet Merrick Zymie Slowiski i'm sorry i know we practiced i liked it
0: i like the bio i like the introduction you've made and and you you, you pronounced my name perfectly so thanks for the invitation Um, and hi to everyone listening
1: great great thank you i was like i know we practiced wonderful well welcome and it is really really great to meet you i know you are a busy man have been traveling and so I'm glad we made this happen. So let's get into it. As I mentioned in your intro from your extraordinary entrepreneurial success to living to tell quite an unimaginable story, Merrick, there's a lot I'd love to unpack with you. But first, I think it'd be really worth starting with how a man from a small leafy town in Poland caused Tellin, I probably again are butchering that, but I admit I've never heard of it until I read your book. Ended up in Africa to then building multiple successful tech companies, and then to have this wild story. And then you're also really deeply passionate, Merrick, about changing the narrative of Africa. So, so tell us the how. Really. Yeah,
0: yeah. I guess it all boils down to the fact that I was born in a very, very small town. uh, in a typical Polish town, typical Polish family, mom, a teacher, father, a soldier, with my life being set up and already scheduled by my parents. (laughs) Uh, Like, I'm going to be a teacher just like my mom, my father will help me build a house next to theirs. There was this neighbor that had a daughter and they were like, you know, she's a nice girl, she likes you, maybe you guys can, you know, hang out if you know what I mean. And at the same time, we already had satellite TV, right? It was like early, early 90s, so I could watch MTV and CNN and I'm like, I am getting out of here because the whole world has so much to offer. So I had this minority. I don't know if this is the right word, the minority complex. that I felt like, you know, because of where I was born, I'm kind of, you know, I have like worse start than anyone else. Then I realized that I was one of the luckiest guys in the world when I went to Africa. But that's another story. But at that time, I thought I had underprivileged, And I was extremely stubborn and I just wanted to get out of there. And uh, and when I was a kid, I was bullied also in the school. I you know I was fat. I wanted to have... have girlfriends, but they were all laughing at me. So I, I deal with this internal need of having to prove your own value to everyone around. And this is extremely powerful tool in business. I mean, all those, you know, uh, overachievers are, are, have have similar stories in their childhood. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's extremely powerful in business. And uh, it just made me work hard, hard. And the rest is a lot of luck and, uh, and coincidence mm-hmm. and, and, and Africa kind of happened in the, in the process. I don't know how deep you want to, you want me to go for hours.
1: <laughs> You're right. You can't, no, we, we can stop there. Cause I know we'll, we'll get to, you know, Africa and all the other really incredible points of your story, but you know, the, the point about, it just sounds like you were a, a kid with big, big dreams for yourself. And, and, and I really related with you when you said that you grew up with this lifestyle and this mindset where the life was already scripted for you then it sounds like because of your big dreams you had to go look and achieve like it outside of the scripted life
0: yeah I, I i felt like i have nothing to lose that i can always come back to that to what was prepared for me that you know it's like i couldn't imagine what would have to what kind of failure i would have to become in order for me not to even be able to come back to that initial plan So i was like I mean, it's not hard to become a teacher, really, right? And and have my father build a house for me. So it's like, I have nothing to lose. Let's just get out of this place. I wouldn't even nice. say that I had a big plans to start with. I just really wanted to get out, just like every teenager wanted to, right?
1: That yeah. We,
0: we would live in this post communist super small town in this post communist apartment where everything was gray and sad. Uh, but in the small TV, you could see, you know, MTV <laughs> clips and, and, uh, and CNN and and some 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 news about some guys in Silicon Valley writing something on their white laptops, drinking soy latte, and you know, kind of making millions. And I was like, if these dudes can do this, I'm a geek myself as well. I know about computers. Why can't I can I do that? So that's how it started. It Was so immature in a way, and but it, that's how it started. Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah. Well, you have to start somewhere, and and I like what you said about how. The, you know, you had nothing to lose, the mindset of nothing to lose. And you pointed out how a lot of high achievers and our listeners are the high achievers that this also attitude of you got something to prove. And, you know, speaking of that mindset, one of your TED Talks, Merrick, was actually about why you should take chances. And I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, your thought and. This attitude of nothing to lose, and you've been an entrepreneur since like since 23. I remember reading building a successful online network of funeral services of all things in Poland, and then you took this chance on Africa. Why do you say it's important to take chances and risk, and and how can you make it fun too? Because I believe you said that also (laughs) in the TED Talk.
0: It was a process. It was a funny process. When okay. I was this bullied kid that had absolutely no confidence, I was actually reading books about how to pick up girls, believe it or not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and in that book, I remember that quote. It says, you know, the guys that pick up most of the girls, and forgive me to all the female listeners, I know how sexist it sounds, but teenage guys just want to pick up girls, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it said, it's all about trial and error. It's all about statistics, right? It doesn't matter how cool you think you are. Many girls will just, you know, how do you turn you down? So it's really about them. It's a numbers game. So you just have to keep trying and not get uh, personally the failure. And that approach is then also super powerful in business and in sales. Like if the client tells you, no, don't take it personally because you're going to get the motivation. But that was the first step. And then. And then obviously I, I, was, I was excited about sports and I would love to watch basketball. And those were the, the days of Chicago Bulls when they were like winnings three times. If oh, it, yeah, that I was 96, three times in a row in total. I think seven or eight rings. I don't remember now. Uh, and, and there was the famous quote of Michael Jordan. You know, I've, I've, uh, I've done, I've has, I, I have, you know, thrown so many shots and so many of them were unsuccessful, but because of the numbers, you know, the successful were also big enough. And then, and then I would also I'm, an extra, I'm a huge fan of stand up comedy. I consider stand up comedy as one of the most sophisticated form of art, one of the toughest public speaking exercise you can ever have because you're getting feedback every thirty seconds. And if the next joke is not funny, the mood can go down. Doesn't matter how funny you are. Two you have to read the
1: audience too.
0: Exactly, and you have to read the audience. One amazing joke can be great. In this audience, but the next day, the same, the same club, same time, but you know, different vibe, different energy, different people were before you, and it's not going to land. And uh, and I remember famous comedian saying on and on and on, "I am so good just because I've tried this joke so many times and I've failed and I've done changes to it, and and I and it, it, that joke eventually become amazing, but it was so shitty for so many years until I kind of molded it into." the right context and the right delivery and everything and those three events in my life kind of made me realize i mean it's all about the numbers game. you just have to bring everything that life gives you you kind of you, you're building a boat from the wood that comes down the river you catch that or you build a bridge from the wood that comes down the river make sure that maybe you don't take too many risky chances because you have one life and if you Make an attempt at business that's going to end up you becoming bankrupt. Maybe you will never be able to have another try. So you got to manage the risk as well. But mm-hmm. it's really all about the numbers game. You got to take everything that comes to you and, and make a lot of fast decisions because statistically, then you will hopefully succeed. I mean, you got to give yourself a chance. For me, it was always a numbers game and statistics game. I mean, I've done, I've stock- built a couple of businesses, which now I can consider, you know, nice thing to have in my CV or in my bio. But the amount of businesses or the money I have lost by just trying is like disproportionately bigger.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, on that note, Merrick, I mean, I've I've studied, read, listened to so many of uh, really successful. Um, Big entrepreneurs, I'm sure you the same. And a lot of them speak about some of the biggest lessons and they are who they are with their successes because of their failures, not so much of what you see on the exterior of the the glossy success. So that's such an interesting point and and I hear you with the numbers game, but what I also heard are the steps that you took and the kind of the mindset of you have the attitude of just to try it you know, not being afraid to take that risk and then not taking things personally. I think that's a big one. And if you don't take things personally, it will allow you to have a little fun with it, you know, because yeah, when you take things too seriously, then, you know, you're sitting there like overanalyzing and stressing without realizing that, "Eh, you know, that didn't work out. Let me try this one again with the numbers. And then, with the numbers, I think it ties to the repetition. And I'm sure you would agree with me. If, if not, let me know. But, you know, we are, there's some of our habits, right? And some of the yeah. most um, successful people, they are consistent with their habits. Because, yeah. And that warms them.
0: Uh, I, when you were saying this, I was like, let me add something to this about the power of the habit, which also is a great book. Uh, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it all goes down to the habits you have. I may have a good habit of trying many things. I have, I may have a good habit of maybe not risk exposing myself to too much risk if I have too much to lose and so on and so on. Because at the end of the day, it's the habit, the knowledge of what you need, what needs to be done in order to be successful or to to run a business. By successful, I mean any definition you want. Sometimes just having a comfortable life is successful enough. Um, if, if it was only about knowledge, everyone that we know would have a six pack and would be a millionaire <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like a longevity you know freak lately I, because I turned 30 a couple of years ago I'm 35 I'm thinking more and more about not dying too fast and also fitness mm-hmm. and so on so you realize that after you read couple of the most the best books you realize that you have you know 80% of that things that is needed it's really about the basics You don't need to know that 20% that allows professionals win Olympic medals. You just want to have a healthy life. And that knowledge is not that complicated. Any smart person can absorb that knowledge in a matter of weeks and a couple of books. But it really boils down to, are you going to turn that knowledge into the right habit? And it's the same thing with business. I mean, you read business books, you speak to successful people, and you can say, I mean, they're all saying the same thing. So are they lying? And I say, no, because the knowledge is pretty basic. The problem is is the habit of implementing that knowledge. And again, we are sounding here like coaches, but for me, it's very simple. It all goes down to the habit.
1: No, you, you nailed it. I couldn't agree with you more about turning that knowledge into habit, because I'm sure you know the very cliche phrase that knowledge is everything, right? But no, when you think about it, it's... Like applying that knowledge and you use the word, you know, turning it into a habit. That's when like real action and the magic happens. So, Merig, I want to not keep the listeners waiting much longer. And I want to really get into the gripping story of how in the world where you put on Interval's most wanted list. And of course, not only did you live to tell this fascinating story, but you were able to prove you were wrongfully accused, of course. And even the police actions were unlawful. So can you tell us, I know it's a long story, but maybe in a
0: yeah, I'll go it version. down. <laughs>
1: I'll
0: try to condense it to a one-minute monologue. So um, it really is a story of me falling victim to stereotypes. So I was this uh, young white European guy coming to, uh, to Africa. And my first business was really this business where I was backed up by a big investment fund. So I was pretty secure. You know, if anything happens, I had this big lawyer, you know, big law, legal firms that would always help me. I wouldn't have to be afraid of corruption because we had, you know, big investors behind us. But then when the business became, let's call it a success, I was able to leave the company, keep my shares, make some money because the company did an uh, IPO. Then I decided to do something on my own. And this time I was like, okay, I need to lower my risks. Long story short, everyone was telling me, watch out for the local entrepreneurs because they might take advantage of you and they might take over your company. So I found a local entrepreneur, Harvard alumni. I was like, he's also coming from the so-called West. It's going to be easier for us to understand each other. Let us do business together because he's been already in Adria for many more years than than I do. And uh, the irony of of my story is, is that the Nigerians, the Ghanaians, the local Africans helped me later when this Indian descent entrepreneur with his American business partner actually tried to take over the company from me. Long story short, we knew the company. Then there was a conflict in the company. Like it always happens in companies, I wanted to take this company one way. They wanted to take the other company other way. There was a lot of ego, a lot of you know entrepreneurs that think they know better, including myself. I blame myself for being a confrontational person. So on a on a communication level, I take a lot of blame, but obviously my business partner, feeling a little bit too comfortable about his position in Nigeria, he had no problems driving the Nigerian police to kind of force me to sell my shares of the company to him for almost nothing, so he could just now take over the company and do with it, with it whatever he he thinks. And now I have to give like a caveat. why interpol and what happens? Mm-hmm. It's a typical thing for any emerging company, for any emerging economy. It was the same thing in Poland many years ago in, in it's still a thing in Russia, and especially in Africa, where <laughs> bribing police or bribing government institutions is a part of business competition. and as, and it's a typical thing to to get rid of foreigners. Because when there is an arrest warrant on you that you bought, the foreigner, obviously Mike is me. I have to quickly leave the country because I don't want to stay in jail. In Nigeria, they can put you to jail, and without even convicting you, you can stay years in jail until you until someone comes and says, if you sign this paper, you're really still free to go. It's a very typical thing to um, to scare someone and and now the context of Interpol. Interpol is this very noble organization that basically is like facebook for police organizations all over the world they all have this account in this big platform and when there's one criminal from one country they can just post it on that platform and every other police organization in the world knows that this guy is walking. it's a very very good thing to do right because you don't want to have a murderer just moving to another country and feel like and live like nothing happened the problem is the scale and just like facebook has problem with scale just like youtube has problem with scale so does interpol because in a way, they treat Iran and Turkey and Afghanistan the same way they treat Switzerland and Germany or France. But you can imagine that it's probably slightly different to accuse someone of, of anything in Switzerland than in, for example, Russia. Because the, 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 the government is different, there, there are dictators and so on and so on. And Interpol has become a tool of abuse because... You can just tell someone to issue an arrest warrant or pay someone to arrest warrant. And this way you can chase your political opponents or business business uh, opponents. So that's what happened to me that the arrest warrant automatically becomes a part of, uh, Interpol system. So anywhere in the world I would go, I would be stopped at the airport and I would be risking uh, being extradited to Nigeria. It's all designed by scaring me at making me stay in one place, making me lose my money because I can't travel. Banks will stop giving me loans because now I'm technically a fugitive. And then obviously I'm getting an information. You want these problems to go away? Just sell the company. And, uh, and I'm getting to the bridge now. Me being the stubborn Polish guy as I am, decided to fight this in courts. I've been collecting evidence or that essentially blackmail including recordings from meetings and so on. And at one point when we've collected enough evidence, because we were pretending we're going to pay, I just needed time to collect money and so on and so on. Typical Hollywood story. (laughs) Um, At one point we said, okay, we have enough evidence. We're going to court. So I went to France to take this case in international courts because Interpol has headquarters in France. I went to court in Nigeria. I was the first foreigner in the history of Nigeria to take police in Nigeria to court and win for... Obviously, a fake and illegal arrest warrant. And then I went in Poland to court, to defend myself from any extradition, saying this extradition request is also fake. Long story short, it took me all three years and a lot of money and lawyers. Um, all three cases were won by me, and uh, and it all ended up in the, in the book, which has a nice happy end. That was like a five-minute version, but it's really hard to condense it more.
1: <laughs> no, it was every detail of what you shared, even in the condensed five-minute, was necessary. And thank you. I mean, I mean, even even though I read the book, hearing you retell it again, like I'm, you can't see me, but I'm like at the edge of my seat. Like, how how does he? Go through this without like breaking down mentally. I mean, I, yeah. and that's kind of where I want to ask you next because there was this really vivid picture that you you drew in in the book where you said that you were, it was the first night in prison when you were questioned at the Warsaw airport and excuse me or correct me if I'm getting some details wrong but you were recounting how you're trying to meditate and you were uncontrollably weeping and, and praying and I mean I would probably just like lose my shit. But I think <laughs> you even use the words like I had to get my shit together. Like how, Merrick, like can you because not many people will go through what you did and it takes uh, a huge level of mental strength and and poise to not lose your shit and to figure out how you're going to come out on the other side. Can you just kind of walk us through like, what was going in your head?
0: Yeah, by the way, I'm always asked about this. Uh, I wrote this book because I wanted to write about Africa and business there. And then obviously I had this criminal edge to it. But then without, to my surprise, the book also became a, an important, uh, maybe book, a piece of text in the context of self-motivation and, 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 yes. and so on, which I wasn't yeah. expected. But yeah, that's what well, honest.
1: Sorry yeah. to, to interrupt. To be honest, that's what ties it more uh, perfectly to our platform and our community for PSU Yourself. I mean, your story is gotcha. fascinating, but that's what's really going to you know, help help us learn and apply it realistically because I don't think many people are going to go through what you go through, but yeah. the, the yeah. personal development.
0: Of course. Yeah, that was uh, – I mean, that was – those type of days where you leave it and you're like saying to yourself, you could never make this shit up. Like you would pay a Hollywood script yeah. and he wouldn't come up with that story because I was like, so in love. I just met a girl. We spent like the best two weeks of our lives. She introduced me to her family. I introduced her to, to my family. We we spent New Year's Eve in Barcelona and so on and so on. And then we went to the airport. She went because we were like leaving to different destinations at the same day. So we were at the airport together. She, her was she was first. She told me she loved me for the first time, of, you know, weeping. I mean, like my eyes were sweating by then, if you know what I mean. Aww. I was like total butterflies in my stomach, everything. And then I go to my security check, to my immigration check, and uh, and that's where I find out for the first time that this this, this internal red notice on me, and apparently Nigeria wants to extradite me because it just landed in the system like the day before, a couple days before our our last trip to our places. And then they took me to this thing, to this jail. They said, tomorrow, you're going to, they're going to be a decision what to do with you. Whether we're going to send you to Nigeria, or keep you here. And, and I couldn't even speak to my lawyer because it would take him one day to, to get to that uh, city and so on and so on. I just locked me in jail, t- took my uh, took my stuff and, and I had to spend the night in there. And uh, I really, because my father died a couple of years earlier and I kind of read about the stages of grief. And I went mm-hmm. through this and for me, the night spent in jail was like all the stages of grief in one night because it started with a shock. Like, this is not happening. Like, is this, is this like a hidden camera? Is it's someone putting it prank you. on me? Exactly. I'm like, what? What? And you're like, Oh, I think I know what this is about. Cause I had my doubts. Yeah. I already know that knew there is this conflict with my business partner and I heard some stories and I was like, is this, is this it? Is this what you read really did to me? I couldn't believe it, but then it turns into rage to like, I was imagining how i'm gonna get out of here and i'm just gonna to go to see him and i'm gonna strangle him with my bare hands you know it's just just absolute rage what i would just shout and, and run in this small cell without you know uh, windows and everything and then you kind of realize that you're so uh, helpless like you, you can't do anything here I couldn't even call anyone to, you know, let me go to to the bathroom. I had to pee in the empty bottle that was there. So we just realized how your freedom is taken out and how, how, how bad it feels. So that's where I started having panic attacks. I couldn't breathe, you know, I I started uncontrollably crying. And I, I remembered, you know, Tony Robbins tapes that I used to listen many, many years ago and I was like, emotion comes from motion. So I started moving, I started uh, doing push-ups. I tried to calm myself by meditating. Um, Then, obviously, I would think of any god that I ever heard about, (laughs) from Jesus Christ to Muhammad to Buddha, everyone, right? Um, And um, just you know, just trying to to do anything to make myself uh, feel better. And at at some point, after a couple hours, you're just so physically and emotionally drained that you just calm down, just out of being tired, mm-hmm. and that's the moment when you can start regaining control because you released all that emotion, and that was the moment when I said to myself, "Like you can only realize how how strong you are if you really uh, are pushed to the to the wall." And again, I think I remember that quote from The Rock, you know. <laughs> so it's like I was reminding myself about all those like motivational things that I always was laughing at, but now I need it, and. You know, I used to be a skateboarder, or I used to do snowboarding. I loved it. I had no talent, and I was shitty at it, but I really loved it, how you perform a certain acrobatical trick by jumping off a set of stairs, and you can really kill yourself if you don't have the right mindset. And what we have in skateboarding is that if you really want to go down the stairs with a certain trick, you need to play that scenario in your head over and over again, because the last thing you can do is to change your mind when, you're, or when it's already too late to stop, because then you're going to kill yourself. So you have to keep repeating that trick in your head over and over again, as if this is like already a routine, because you've done this in your head 100 times.
1: Ah, and like
0: visualization. Mm-hmm. Visualization. And not only that, you also have to visualize everything that can happen wrong, including the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. You just Mm -hmm. know that you're going for the best case scenario. And it's just a routine because you've already done this in your head and it's super powerful and that's what I did. I've played in my scenario, uh, in my head, all the scenarios I could think of from the best possible scenario to the worst possible scenario from being released in the morning saying, sorry, it was all a mistake. By the way, we've recorded everything. You're going to be on TV tomorrow Ha, Ha ha to. You know, I'm gonna land in twenty-four hours in, in Nigeria, they're gonna put me to jail. So what do I do to survive? And mm-hmm. again after a couple of hours you realize your creativity is done. Like you've thought about everything you could. And that's the moment of peace, because okay, I've done everything I could to get the best out of the current situation. And that's the moment I fell asleep for like half an hour because it was already morning here. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh and that was it, it was it was I, it was such a powerful uh, night for me. Uh, I learned so much about myself and again about adversities that it really changed me.
1: I was going to say exactly. And there was so much that you said there about how. Again, when you're saying you learn so much about yourself, I could already tell some, I, I don't know you at all, Merrick, you know, this is our very first time connecting online, but I could already tell from that story of how you depicted moment by moment your stages of grief to when you said you finally got to a place of peace. I, I can see the, the character. In a person. <laughs> and, and, and and I wonder, this is a question back to your follow-up question, you know, like besides I like, going through all these levels of 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 grief and then have doing this powerful exercise of rehearsing in detail every possible scenario. And I actually heard um other really high performing like athletes who do this. I'm blanking on his name, but maybe you know I think he's a famous Irish boxer, but like they or elite athletes, they yeah. play out, yeah, they play out scenarios in their head so they can really prepare themselves for every kind of um move they're going to make. So that it reminded me of that when you were telling me this. But I wonder also, Merrick, if because you 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 preface the story about how you had just met the love of your life. And if having met her gave you a, a sense of also meaning and purpose to get out on the other side of this. This is just my, my assumption. I don't know.
0: <laughs> um, if anything, it even, it's, it was a double edged sword because in that phase of my life is over, it was even worse for me because I'm not only losing my business and my happy single life. I am now losing that person that I just realized is the love of my life. So that the, the, the that that drama stage was even deeper because of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, then when you know things unfolded, without giving too much of my story, I was able to finally get out and start the, the, the three years old, three years long legal battle. There was a lot of ups and downs in the process. I thought I'm going to lose it, and so I thought I'm going to run out of money because it was all became so expensive. Yeah?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, then her being at my side and 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 still. Although she just have met me and you know, you meet a guy and suddenly he's on Interpol most of the least. Like how many women would just kind of stick to you, you No, know? It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, not the best way to start. Yeah.
1: Maybe he's not the guy I want to be.
0: <laughs> exactly. Anyway,
1: yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 She's always, she, 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 she would always laugh at me. Are you sure you're doing this online business? Are you not a drug dealer? Because kind of, you know, <laughs> you know. The, Internal guys don't land on Interpolis. So they will always laugh at this. But she, <laughs> having her support kind of cemented our relationship at that stage because I know she's for, she was with me at my worst really. Mm-hmm. and uh, And having that end line, okay, if I once I get out of this, once the legal battle ends and I'm, I'm not only able to get back to business I'm also able to be back to this you know relationship and we can travel and we can just enjoy life without me being afraid of ending up in jail again that was like again then at the end the stronger even stronger motivator to finish this with a happy end so Mm -hmm. it was it was a double-edged song it made it tougher in the beginning and it also gave me a stronger motivation later
1: got it Got it. So can you tell us how this unfathomable experience led you also to, again, I'm going to tie it to mindset because I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think initially you may have had a sense of wanting to get revenge on people who wronged you in a very, very traumatic, for lack of a better word, um, to actually feeling grateful to them because I believe I read this in your book. Like, how do you go from revenge to being grateful?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to revenge so badly uh, on, on so many levels. And, and I guess and also because during the legal battle, I had, uh, like I said, I had a lot of ups and downs. I had some depression, uh, you know, events and I would do some psychotherapy. I would start reading books. I did it. I even did ayahuasca retreats. Like I really do- dove down into, you know, how can I work on myself? I also became older, you know, I turned 33 or something like that. So I was like, okay, that, I mean, you just realize once you deep dive into this, that the revenge is not the way around the knowledge is out there mm-hmm. and, um, and in the, the only, I can't change the past. And again, as cliche as it sounds, I don't want to spend the next five years of my life spending my energy on revenge because it's going to continue the fight and I'm going to hit them back. Who knows how they're going to hit me back again. Yeah? Uh, it would be just a never-ending story. So at some point, I was like, "Let me just move on and grow from there." And I think that was the topic of my second TED Talks. when I TED talk when I said, um, "Yeah, I went through those stages." And at the end of the day, I want to thank my enemies because they made me realize how strong I am, and um, and they actually turned me into a better man because now I'm happier than ever. Uh, like I told you in the earlier, I was a, I was an asshole CEO, right? Because I thought I can do anything. Success has made me think I'm better, and so on and so on. And then you had, you had this big punch in your face, and you learned humidity, and I needed that. So I also took responsibility, not the blame, but the responsibility for antagonizing my business partners, because sometimes I would tell things to piss them off on purpose. Um, I don't take the blame for the legal stuff, because they were the ones that decided we're going to break the law to teach you a lesson. But I take the blame and take the responsibility for antagonizing people in the first place, right? And that responsibility that I took kind of empowered me. Uh, Okay, I don't want to control it. If I have to lie to myself that either everything is my fault or everything is someone else's fault, I want to blame myself because at least I can change that.
1: Well, thank you for being real about how you just said that at one point I was an asshole CEO and and I had to eat basically some humble pie. And, you know, and that that honestly, Merrick, that is more admirable. And, you know, your story is. Like I said, very gripping, and it's so inspirational to kind of listen to the mindset of how someone changes and gains strength, and you know grows from it to come out on the other side to inspire others. But also, you your ability to just honestly tell us that, hey, I was kind of a you know, excuse my language, a dick before, but, but yeah. now, no, but I I think that allows uh, another level of us to connect with you and people like you who can get who can be real with us and say like i've made a mistake before or i have not been so nice before but and maybe and to your point this is why you're saying how you're thanking them because it's allowed you to get to a state of where you are today and hopefully now inspire people through these stories yeah Yeah, that's my that's my plan
0: (laughs) Uh, I, i I wrote this book because I wanted to kind of, you know, there was a lot of hate on me uh, in, in Africa. I was, I was pretty recognizable. And then suddenly all this hate came onto me because my ex-business partner, he's very smart and he knew what he was doing. And the moment I, he realized I'm going to the courts, he had to kind of start defending his name because the evidence came out. So he started again, a, a smearing campaign, look at this white guy, he came to Africa, and he's stealing from us again. Uh, he they kind of hit the neocolonialism notes and so on and so on, because racism is still alive in Africa, and not only in Africa. So I wanted to make like a statement, okay, this is how the story unfolded. And you've probably read a lot of shit about me, but maybe you want to hear my story. And then it kind of started, turned into this, you know, interest, because Many people found many of my stories interesting for them, and I can only say that it really makes you feel great <laughs> that I change someone else's life and uh, because I get those messages every day, and that's so cool, so cool. <laughs>
1: Well, that's I, you know, and that's my goal with this platform is I was recently sharing on uh, another episode, Merrick, about because I was in corporate America and now I feel like I actually have a life purpose because when I hear people that my podcast episodes are changing lives and it's that ability to have an impact, I feel like on a humanistic level is truly powerful and for me is what is driving me and, and gives meaning. on that note I want to ask you to kind of wrap this up in your book you said something as it relates to happiness that I thought was really poignant when you were already making good money selling insurance policies this may have been early in your career you said I was living an illusion in a bubble of happiness if I felt bad I went somewhere to buy something and it was lovely but then the bubble burst I relate to this about how I tell people you you shouldn't chase happiness but more fulfillment so on that note what does happiness and or fulfillment mean to you now
0: um you gotta start with the basics uh, you gotta have i mean li- we live in a world where your stability and your safety really depends on the amount of money you have i'm talking about covering your safety uh, there's a reason why the great philosophers have come from ancient Greece, where they had enough food, they were living on islands, there was not too many you know other ethnic groups that wanted to kill them and eat them. When you have the basics covered, you can enjoy life better and you can create amazing things like mathematics and astronomy and so and philosophy right so safety always for uh, happiness for me always starts with with safety, which needs to be quantified by a certain amount of money or insurance policies or whatever you have that makes you feel safe and peaceful um that even if you're going to lose your job or, or whatever you know you have that safety net and i was able i was i'm I'm lucky enough to to to, to kind of work for some big part of my life to to uh, to achieve that so having that safety net i like to say it fuck you money <laughs> sorry for that mm-hmm. i don't okay. have to I don't have to deal with someone that I don't like just to, to, to do business with him because I, I can afford to leave the business or not do anything for a couple of months or just find something else. So that's super important. And in order to achieve that, most likely you have to really work your ass off for many years. In my case, it was more than 10. Um, Then um, I really focused on my needs and I kind of limited my needs because the last couple of years I was really traveling a lot. Like I spent like 300 days in travel and out of the search for comfort and not worrying about my luggage, I became a minimalist without having to be a minimalist. Yeah, And now I realize that when I travel, doesn't matter if I travel for a week or for two months, I need one backpack. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, I can always buy a pair of socks wherever I go, right? Or stuff like this, I can always buy my black, another black t shirt. So in the process, I've also be, you know started to uh, wear the same style because i don't lose energy of thinking of new type of clothes every day um so so working on my needs and on those essentials has been super important for me and i don't really own much to be very honest with you i just recently bought a car i didn't have a car for many years just because i live in dominican republic and i felt like i want to have a nice off-road car Mm -hmm. Um, i would keep all my assets in a very liquid form because I was afraid of commitment. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any real estates. I would keep stocks that I can sell fast or, or just cash or, or contracts instead of real estates, if you know what I mean. And that freedom gave me happiness because I was like, it's hard for me to guess where I should live, what I should do. What going to give me peace is the ability to move around.
1: If something mm-hmm.
0: goes bad. So I just pack myself, I take my laptop and everything is, is online. I don't have any real estate that someone can rob or steal from me. Obviously, you know, having your money and assets in a digital form has, you know, comes up with your with another set of risks. Uh, but me being from the digital world, I accept those risks because I know better how to protect myself because it's kind of my world. Yeah. So that that freedom was like, was was super important for me of moving around and changing and uh, and that F U money. Uh, they, yeah, I mean everything that I got myself involved in is really allows me to double down on what I love to do and what my strengths are. Like I'm allergic to Excel. I don't like to run organizations that are too big. <laughs> and I, at some point I, I was running an organization of 500 people. I had 10 managers uh, reporting to me and I was super unhappy. And now whenever I'm getting myself involved in a business, it's usually anything that I can do remotely so I can move around. I like to do sales. I like to do, I like to start new things and I get bored pretty fast. <laughs> so I want to, you know, <laughs> open a company where I can do many things. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that's where yeah. the happiness is for me. And, and, and to and to end with every business I'm involved in has something additional just to the concept of making money. So I'm involved in three businesses where so I'm a partner. Um, one is a, is a big digital marketing agency in Africa and, uh, what I'm responsible for is I really I am hiring a lot of local people. So we're moving the knowledge we have in Poland of software building and expertise. We're not just selling our services to African companies, we're actually transferring the knowledge into African people because the problem of Africa is that we would send them money, we would never teach them how to do things. And that's what I like about this business that we're building local expertise and local talent base. My second business is uh, is a solar company, so I also see it in a way that we're not only making money building solar roads, but we're also building having a small part in the transition to renewable energies, which I consider important yes. for our future. And, and that's the business in Europe. And we also have a business in the in the states where we are uh, recording audiobooks. And the current project we're, we're now involved in, it's a huge project. It involves more than 130 actors, including some A-list celebrities that have won Oscars. And we're doing the audio version of the Bible. And, um, and I also oh. like it, although I'm not particularly religious, I consider Bible as a very piece of history. And uh, not not I'm not saying that it's that what Bible talks about is a is, a, is our facts. But the fact of the mm-hmm. humanity and civilization coming up with the Bible, which is an important historical text, which was you know, which was actually collected from even older texts and so on and so on. Uh, we're trying to make the Bible more engaging because you can listen to it with some nice actors and with some nice background music. So you can read the Bible yourself. And then we're also going to do Quran and we're going to do Torah because it's supposed to be all the historical texts. We want to make them more engaging to listen to on your own so you don't have to talk to people that tell you what the Bible is about. <laughs> Maybe you want to figure it out on your own. So that's that's also I like that, you know, because I think we we live in a world where we started to consume knowledge and and data the way we consume food. It's processed. I mean, you have you
1: you you read tweets and yeah. headlines
0: instead of the source, and I, and I like that.
1: You're right. I like yeah. that but
0: we're changing this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's a good. That's a really good point, and you're absolutely right. World where everything is processed, and people want instant gratification, and, and just the short, short little sound bites, you know, without really getting into the beauty of the details in every every line of text in the story. And so, very fascinating. You have. It seems like your kind of businesses are in diverse range of industries, and. Very, very fascinating. So on that note, Merrick, this is a question that I like to wrap up all of my episodes with and to ask my guests if you can go back to your younger version of Merrick to pass on one piece of advice to remind him to always live fully in the present and on his own terms. Is there anything you'd like to pass on? Uh, I wonder if
0: I would listen to myself. <laughs>
1: like who are you a <laughs> numbers game no, i'm just kidding
0: <laughs> yeah i guess i would tell myself to be patient because i mean for me everything goes down to business because business and making money is such an important part of my life uh, but not to make money itself just because business gives you freedom you can do cool stuff while being an entrepreneur i never had a talent to be an artist or a or athlete, but I guess in the business I'm finding a lot of enjoyment in life. And uh, I would fall for that common knowledge that media has been giving you. So, in order to be successful on an entrepreneur, you have to drop out of university because that's what Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and Mark Zuckerberg did there. But only later you realize that actually the statistics say the total opposite. If you want to maximize your chances, you should finish your university work for a big company and only later after you collect experience start something on your own because you you're gonna make less mistakes and and I would uh, the only thing I would change in my life I guess would be to not to drop out of university enjoy my young young years anymore and build some network and and think more and then work for someone because most of the mistakes I have done I could have done them while working for someone else and that person would pay for this not me <laughs> And and it all boils down to sometimes starting later will allow you to finish faster because you're just gonna make less mistakes on the way. Makes there's sense. this there's this cartoon wow. in Poland. I don't know if you have it in the States, where there's like a competition between a I think a, a fast animal and and a, and a turtle, and the fast animal thinks oh. it's always gonna lose win because so he went to a restaurant did a, like a nap or something and the turtle was just walking 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 and he was actually first because the other guy was too uh <laughs> unfocused yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and, and and i believe in the um american fable it's like the the rabbit the hare, rabbit. And, and the turtle something like that so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it has been an absolute honor having you on the show and listening to your fascinating background to inspire us all. But before I let you go, Merrick, where can everyone connect with you, buy your book, and just learn more about you?
0: So as you know, my name is super hard to pronounce, and to make my website based on my name was a bad idea. (laughs) But I have another website, which actually leads to the same content, which is the same title as the book. So chasingblackunicorns.com. And then it's like a one-stop shop for everything. Like you get the information about what I do, my foundation, and we didn't get the chance to talk maybe next time, and all my social media handles and links to Amazon and Audible, uh, how to get the book. Because all the money from the book goes to the foundation. So if you buy the book, you you don't like it, you still have the foundation, so
1: you cannot lose here. <laughs> um, yes, sir. So, yeah. i read that. that I read that. That's um, incredible what you're doing. And I know I, I feel like I can keep asking you 100 million questions into your fascinating life and what you're doing. But hopefully down the road, we can do this again. And it, again, has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for inspiring us with your story.
0: Thank you so much for the invitation. Stay safe, everyone. Uh, and uh, till next time, who knows where it's going to be?
1: And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of P.S. Younger Self. It really means a lot to me that you're spending your time with me. So if you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcast, and Leave me a review. Tell me what you think. It really helps me get more valuable content to you guys. So until next time, take care and remember to always live your life on your own terms.